And a very good uh, afternoon to you. My name is Philip Klein. I am the Senior Investigator at Klein Investigations and Consulting in Nederland, Texas. I'd like to welcome everybody. Boy, I'm going to have trouble talking today, it sounds like. Welcome, everybody, to uh, our podcast. Uh, It's podcast number, what is it, Caroline? This is Caroline Gear. She's the case manager for the company. I think we're on uh, podcast number seven. Number seven. Two of the Dior Coons Jr. case. Yep. And this is uh, probably uh, one of the most, uh, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's one of the the biggest cases we've ever had through uh, our firm here at uh, Client Investigation and Consulting. It's not the biggest case, but it's one of the biggest cases. I'd say I'd put it in the top 10, number seven, probably number eight, somewhere in there uh, of national exposure, international exposure. Uh, As uh, you, our followers, know, uh, and some of you that don't know, uh, we handle uh, major cases all over the world that that has been on the world stage. Uh, And uh, this case, uh, I tell you, is is probably maybe up seven, eight, or nine in the biggest cases we've had through here. But I will tell you, it's been one of the uh, cases that uh, I think I still wake up in the middle of the night and stare at the ceiling and wonder about this and uh, you know we know uh, we know who uh, we know why uh, we just don't know where the child is and so uh, what we've been doing is is we've been kind of in chronological order going through the case and you can listen to podcast number six part one of the Dior Coons case to to uh, get a little bit of the the, the further background on it and uh, uh, this is uh, part two of the Dior Coons case, and uh, we'd like to thank a few people before we get started. Uh, uh, we've got new uh, equipment in here, new podcast equipment. So we so- hope that there's no more sound <laughs> issues. So we've been having some sound issues. So I've got a pair of headsets on, and it sounds pretty darn good right now. So uh, uh, we've got a modulator now, and we've got a lot of stuff that uh, is going to help uh, the internet world with it. I had a couple of news media folks that called me and. Uh, um, and, and wanted to uh, talk with us next week on part three. We're actually going to have uh, one of the um, uh, the crews uh, that uh, is considering doing a story on my uh, my life. Actually, will be in here with us, and uh, he'll be watching us do the podcast. That'll make me a little bit nervous. Anyway, he'll be flying in on uh, Thursday, and so of next week, and he'll be uh, he'll be in here. And uh, so I'm sure that'll be interesting because part three, wouldn't you say Caroline is going to be the most controversial and um... yeah, part three will cover everything lawsuit and all of the crazies. Yep. And, and, and the crazies <laughs> and you will, uh, and you will get a taste of, 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 uh, of this lawsuit. Uh, what was that lawyer's name? Browning. Alan Browning. Alan Browning and how the communications in the backfield that the public didn't know before they filed the lawsuit. And uh, we'll tell you why they followed the lawsuit, because uh, it was fear of, uh, we'll tell you why today is fear of uh, uh, being exposed. They wanted to know, they, 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 they felt that they were fixing to get charges filed on them. That would be Bernal Coons was fixed to get charges filed on him. And then, uh, um, Anyway, we'll get into all that here in, in podcast number three, because but we want you to know the behind the scenes of that. But in the part two, so where we left off was uh, we got on the airplanes and we loaded the dog and we 
off actually we loaded all the team actually up yeah, on airplanes we did interviews and, we mm -hmm. um, and when we had a we had, we had left with the meeting with the sheriff the fbi yes. uh we went to an, a, a small mexican food restaurant in uh, idaho falls which by the way was pretty good it was good we we're down here in texas so we get good mexican food and it was pretty darn good mexican food and so uh we broke bread with uh all the sheriff's deputies and that were involved in the case from Bonneville County and Limhi County, the sheriff, uh, the FBI agents that were involved in the case. And, uh, and, and we discussed the case and they wanted to hear what we thought. And so what we left you with was our thoughts. Our thoughts were that at that point we had two suspects. Now we had uh, Vernal Coons and Jessica Mitchell as uh, what we call suspects. Uh, and, um, and so the reasons we felt they were suspects at the time is because they just outright lied to us. And we were very concerned with, uh, uh, with Bob, the uh, grandpa, grandpa, Bob, as we call him, uh, grand, we were concerned with grandpa Bob because, uh, of his, uh, of his, uh, actions in the interview. Now, let, I think it's a good starting point that we, we go back one step and we talk about his actions, uh, during the interview, because as we interviewed grandpa Bob, um, I took the lead on the interview. Um, how would you describe that interview with Grandpa Bob? He was avoiding the questions. Yes, he was cooperating by being there and doing an interview, but he also was very trying to be very sly in in how he answered things. He tried to say he didn't know, um, but then he also revealed information um, to us that we had never heard before. So when we took that information back. Um, to the police and the, uh, the detective and the sheriff and everybody involved in the case. And we told them it was like, Whoa, he hadn't told us that he was taking a nap in the camper. Right. The and, and that, and, and that, that Vernal had said that, uh, his son had that night had gone to the back of the, uh, of his pickup truck, right where the blood pathogens were found in the wheel well. And then the, um, uh, on the tailpipe and on the, um, uh, and on the, uh, bumper of the car and nobody had known that um and stuck his arm into the tailpipe now i didn't press vernal on that fact uh because i was thinking to myself well law enforcement probably would have uh, wouldn't you say uh pressed him on it right right but if they had known it if they had known it but when we when they watched the video of vernal we we gave them the video and they watched it. Uh, they called us immediately and they said they were in shock that they had never heard that before. Um, and then when Jessica Mitchell came in, uh, you know, she was, I don't know, uh, MJ Holmes took the lead on that. Uh, she's our interviewer and she took the lead on it. Um, how would you describe that interview? Just tense. Um, it was tense. It was, uh, you could tell that she wasn't being truthful with, her mannerisms and how she was acting. Um, she wouldn't look me I in the eye. Sit there and do is watch while they're being interviewed, what their mannerisms are, whether they're looking you in the eye, whether they're looking to the right or the left and um, everything that comes with that in an interview. And she drank that diet Coke. Like it was the first time she'd ever drank water. Um, uh, she sucked that diet Coke down and that's a sign. She got tacky in her, in her, in her voice. Uh, her, her mouth went dry. So, is, so, uh, MJ kind of took the lead and she, uh, I'd say, 
you know, just, just as MJ does, she just started gaining her trust and, and there it went. And, um, she gave information that law enforcement didn't know. And then of course, when Bob walked in the room, uh, it all changed at that point. Uh, you know, we had our suspicions about the mother and father, but we didn't, we didn't really realize what we were dealing with until Bob walked in. And so I, I, to set it up again, um, what happened was Bob was talking and, um, he, um, he said two things, what's done is done. And MJ pressed him on that. What's done is done. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is it? You know, it, it, it was, it was horrific. Uh, what he was saying, uh, it caught our attention immediately. And in fact, I would say it caught my attention to the point where I went to my boiling point and I had a brand new laptop that I was taking notes on. And I, 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 I closed the laptop and I threw it across the room, hit the wall. Bob looked at me like, what are you doing? And I just jumped in the middle of him. And I said, look, look, let me tell you something. You're talking about a two-year-old child. Um, you're talking about a child that's missing and you're, and you're just treating it like this. And that's when the famous line came out. Well, what's done is done. And, and they can always have another child. And uh, I, yeah, I, I, that was the one thing they could have another one. And as a mom yeah. of a two-year-old sitting there at that point, I, I had a two-year-old at that time my very first child yep. and I couldn't, I, I lost it. I could not imagine someone telling me that. So he said he needed to take a break and he got up from uh, where he was being interviewed and he had peed all over himself, all over the floor, all over the chair. Um, and so I knew at that point that we had somebody that knew something that he wasn't going to give up, which eventually he took to his grave and uh, he, 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 he wouldn't, you know the you guys got another what another shot at him didn't you later in the did, in the where, game that's and, where he told us that um that would have been in our second trip which is really where we left where off going, with everybody yeah. mm -hmm. but um in that trip um jane and myself actually went and just had another conversation with him to see if he would tell us more um we asked permission to come in and he let us in and speak to him and his little dog sat there on his lap and mm -hmm. um Anyways, that's where he told us that he had actually been asleep in the camper right. at the time that the parents told us they left Dior with him at the campfire. And there was a reason we did that interview is because we felt when he left the interview and he peed all over himself and we brought him to a point where we were actually telling him he was a liar. I mean, we, I mean, we didn't come out and say it, but he knew we knew he was lying and he knew he was trapped in lies. Uh, and at that point, um, um, I think, uh, uh, we had made the decision that we need to take another run at him where it wasn't a, um, I guess what's the word coerced. Well, to where it wasn't, there wasn't practiced. So much pressure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a practice, wasn't a practice interview. Yeah, interview yeah. MJ and I went to interview him on trip two. It was, um, in his own element and mm -hmm. he, he was caught off guard a little bit. Yep. Um, but he said he didn't have a problem with us being there. Um, he said he wanted to speak with us. Um, now the so, mother, Trina, I mean, uh, the, 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 daughter. the daughter, Trina, mm -hmm. um, she lost her stuff when she found out we were over there interviewing and didn't she come in and demand y'all leave the house. She did. Uh, and so that was kind of a shocker to the team that because Trina was the one that 
that came out and told everybody that she was behind this thing. Let's go. Let's get Klein's getting the answers we need to fire up. Um, she was really, uh, we, we felt at the time, didn't we, yeah, that she we, was behind us hundred yeah, percent. But when she found out that, that the team was back at their house, uh, in trip two, uh, and they were interviewing Bob, Trina lost it. And she demanded that the crew get out of the house. Uh, get out of her house uh, and not come back. Don't come back on the property. Uh, did she threaten law enforcement? And just to clarify, we did have permission from Bob to come in and sit down with him. He absolutely. He did give us permission. Yeah, absolutely. And he was living there at that time. Yeah, so. he was a resident there. So, you know, we kind of felt we were in good legal position. Um, did she threaten law enforcement? I don't remember. I don't, um, you know, I don't remember. It wouldn't have really mattered, I don't think. But, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. But uh, she was... Uh, I'd have to class, clarify it as a tyrant. Uh, I was not in the room. Uh, the description I got from the two investigators that were talking to him was that she became in and became very irate and was a tyrant. And um, uh, that raised our aura. And then, of course, Caroline gets on the phone and, and gets the detectives on the phone from police department and says, oh, my God, uh, we got him uh, unrehearsed uh, and he spilled some beans and you got he he knows more he knows what's going on here so to to clarify then at this point we left trip two um right. and we came back and we had our monday morning meeting like we do every monday with put everybody up staff. on conference from around the united states on the screen yes um and then we had a big discussion so tell us about that discussion carol um well i remember that we that's when i told the team about how the parents were telling us they left D, uh, Dior with Grandpa Bob at the fire pit. Um, but we also have Grandpa Bob now confessing to us that he actually wasn't at the fire pit sitting there, that he was taking a nap in the camper. So that, those that's just an example of two different versions of a story. And remember, and what we're telling everybody now has never been released to the general public. Um, and I think when Alan Browning in the lawsuit that we'll get to in part three, when he found out that, well, he just found out the lies. He found out he he had the recordings. He had the uh, some of the videos. Uh, he, uh, Alan Browning figured out, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But he persisted. But we'll get to that later. But uh, that was one of the – I think that's one of the biggest turns in this case is when he admitted that, no, in fact, he was in the trailer asleep. Uh, he did not see the baby come up the hill. Um, all of what Vernal and Jessica had said to us was now confirmed as a lie. Uh, I'd say Bob was in great mental state, wouldn't you? I he mean, was at the time. I didn't. He he did have some oxygen, but past that, um, he could he, tell you date, he, place, yeah. and time. He could tell you who the president was. Uh, he could tell us stories about when he was a boy, uh, growing up. Uh, his profession. Uh, and he did talk a lot about when um, he was married and yep. um, where he used to live and things of that nature. He told, I mean, he talked a lot about his past. And I think from um, listening to it, you and, and MJ did a great job on uh, talking to Bob to check date, place, and time, his mental status. You know, the the list of questions just to make sure that he was I'd say in good mental health. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys did an excellent job on that. He could remember everything. He remembered Trina growing up. He remembered, uh, you know, rough part of his life. Uh, he, he could tell us everything he could about Isaac. 
so I think that you guys did a wonderful job on that interview. Um, the, th the second interview with Bob, but we've never released before that, that what Bob said to us and uh, we have now. And again, I think it was a big turning point in the case. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I do. And I think the FBI, as far as their forensics people out of DC, uh, you know, when they watched it and, and they, uh, um, how do I want to say reviewed, reviewed it. Um, they could see the, uh, how Bob was coerced and, and rehearsed, uh, before he came in on our first interview. And remember when we left you last, uh, Jessica and, and, and Vernal had just sat with the FBI for what, eight, 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily, uh, Vernal, but Jessica did because, you know, we've always believed that Jessica is going to be the, and she will be, she will, she's the weak link in this case. And she will, she will be the one that will give it up one day. A mother cannot. Or has she already? Well, that's, that's a good point. And we'll get, we'll to, get that to that here in just a little bit. Uh, on Caroline's interview with her on the phone where she fr frankly outright said the child's up there. And, uh, but anyway, um, so we, so back to, well, our I want to step back because oh, I want, okay. I want to mention this. Um, so what did they do instead of, uh, you know, going home, taking a shower, maybe spending some quiet time together, maybe even going out for uh, a supper or something or making dinner at the house. Uh, they ran over to a sex shop and, and, and bought a thing called clone my winky. Um, now, I don't know about y'all, but if I've been in a FBI interview for eight to 10 hours and I've been in them before, uh, you know, I have certain security clearances that where I have to get interviewed and put on a polygraph and all the things I have to do for my job. I can well assure you when you're in an interview with some of these good interrogators, they will pick you apart. And, uh, you know, what, what bothered me the most was they didn't go home. They didn't rest. They didn't, their, your mind is going 900 directions. They went into a sex shop and were laughing and giggling and, um, bought a, bought that sex thing that where you mold a man's penis. I, I, I mean, you just, it's beyond comprehension. Um, as our undercover guys followed them out there. And I think, um, I wouldn't you, how, and I'm, I'm struggling for words here, but how would you clarify, how would you clarify that? How would you classify what the, what the, what the police said to us when they found that out? Shock. They, they were shocked and then verified what I was telling them on their end, on their end. Yeah. I mean, it end. was, it was kind of like we all on the, on the, on the LEO side and on the PSB side. And remember at that time, nobody knew that we were all talking. Nobody knew that we were all sharing information because we didn't want anybody to know, but we, what we needed desperately because we had a two-year-old kid missing on the top of a mountain. We, we want, we were desperately trying to get to the bottom of, of where to go look uh, and, and what to do. Um, and, and it was kind of a desperation type thing that we first went to LEO and said, you know, these people give us the creeps and you know, this is what we've got so far. And that's when I think they all got together and they all figured out, okay, these guys can bring resources that we don't have. Um, or that and people's trust, I think a lot, people, trust, yeah. a lot of the, the, um, public trusted to, to give us information because they knew that we would keep them anonymous. That's and, right. And so I think that that's where a lot of, um, people knew the case. They knew the parents that it's a small, I mean, 
relatively small well, town. And, well, and I want to say that, and and also some of the law enforcement officers, we met all of them uh, that were working on the case. Uh, remember, we had that meeting over at Limhi County, um, uh, not Limhi County, uh, Bonneville County Sheriff's mm-hmm. Department, and all the investigators that were involved in the case. We are all in one big room and we were all talking fbi was there everybody was there and it was kind of like everyone was in shock when we showed them the video and we told them what happened and they were like that didn't happen and we were like yeah it, it did and i think at that point was the point that we knew that these two had something serious to do with it and uh, anyway so that brings us to um, two weeks. In right. February. So we came home. Well, I think we left off with, we uh, got everybody up on, on Skype and we were, uh, everybody, all the investigators from this office were in the conference room, what we call the war room, uh, which I'm sitting here still looking at pictures of uh, missing people, the cases were working. And we, um, we made a decision. We made a, a decision that we were going to send some undercover guys in. So we have two undercover guys in our office. One, his name was Stephen Hartman. Um, he, uh, he's, he's a very good undercover guy. I'd say at the time he worked for us. Uh, and the second one, uh, was uh, Charlie Klein. That's my son. And so we had them all grow beards out. And, uh, in the two weeks that were there, we, we, they were sitting in this office and we said, look, here's your airplane tickets. Here's your assignment. You are to go in, go up there, check into the hotel. Uh, you are to go find Isaac Renoir. And we want you to befriend Isaac Renoir. But before you befriend him, we want you to place him under surveillance. We want you to watch who he interacts with. We want you to watch Trina Clegg. We want you to watch Grandpa. We want you to watch Vernal and Jessica. We want you to go up there. And basically, it was an intelligence grabbing operation. It was an opportunity for our undercover guys uh, to go up there and blend in uh, with the community. During this time... I guess Vernal went to his father um, yes. and, and, and he got Vernal got his father spun up uh, because at that point, uh, Caroline had, had pressured Jessica cornered her. Uh, she admitted that she knew more that was going on in the case. So let's address that real quick right. because that happened um, the night that, that she had her interview and interrogation and all of that at the FBI. And I remember it was 1145. It was around 1145 PM. My it was time. late night. Yeah. Um, it could have been 1245. I'd have to go back and reread my notes from that, but um, it was very late. I had already been sleeping um, at this point. Um, it, it, there was just a, a lot of things happening and um, I got woken up. My phone was ringing and uh, my husband's like, Caroline, wake up, wake up. Somebody's calling you. And I'm like, okay. So I look over and I see that um, it's a Idaho number and I see that it's Jessica. So I immediately answer the phone. I jump out of bed and um, I'm like, is everything okay? Cause at this point I wasn't aware um, of the interrogation. Well, I guess I had, let me backtrack. I had become aware about it two, three hours prior to that, um, before I had gone to bed. And so, um, I had told her, you know, call me when it's over. She did. We talked, um, a little bit. I asked her how it went. She said that it was very long. Um, and then she said some things that she, um, I guess they had told her she didn't, that she failed. Um, so, and so she was going over the question. Well, she failed in what needs to be injected here. She took two more polygraph tests. So this was a total of five at this point. No, wait, I'm sorry. Three at this point. Uh, Vernal took 
two at this point and 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 they both a total of five polygraph tests now this has never been released before but we're going to release it that there were a total of five polygraph tests three for jessica two for vernal if our mem if my memory is correct and i think it is and what uh uh, what happened was is uh they not only failed but they failed in the 99th percentile meaning that if you know anything about polygraph tests it's not just a little bleep and you go ooh. You know they failed. Uh, there's a scale you go to. There's there's uh, the the uh, the pre questions. There's the uh, uh, the actual interview itself, and then there's the test. And then when they put you on the test, uh, they give you qualifying questions such as is your name Bernal Coons? Yes or no? And then they get to your baseline, and then they begin to ask you the que- the three control questions. There's three control questions, and on the uh, they failed all three control questions. Vernal failed twice and Jessica failed three times. Now this crap that they put out that it was inconclusive. Now it was totally conclusive. Uh, and the polygraph examiner with the FBI was very adamant. No, they're lying. And so anyway, go from there. So within the context of our conversation, um, she told me the questions that she had failed. And, um, I said, well, then do you know where he is? And she said failed. Yeah. She told me failed. And there said, was none of this inconclusive crap. No, no. I think Vernal's the one that told me his was inconclusive. Um, but he tried to throw Jessica under the bus right. too. Yeah. Um, and so, so then I said, well, then do you know where he is? I mean, if, if you failed it, then you know where he is. And it, all the, the word for word, she said on the mountain. And, and I sat there and I said, are you telling me he's on the mountain? And then she she like split moment, didn't say a word. And then all of a sudden she said, well, yeah. And then she thought about it for a second. And then she goes, well, that's where I left him last. And that's when that's at that point, when I, they played me that tape, I said, okay, this is now a homicide. This is not a, this is not a missing person's case. This is now a homicide. And remember some of your greatest work, that we do when I tell all the employees here at this firm, all 50 bodyguards, all nine investigators, I tell them when they, some of your greatest work, you'll never be able to talk about. And we knew at that point, because the media was becoming heated up, uh, Vernal was striking, stoking up the media. I think people came out with, a put them on the front page, I think uh, some of the international media had been calling. Dr. Phil's show had been calling. I think uh, uh, Dateline had been calling them. Uh, they were arranging all of this national media. And what was going on is, is, is in the backfield, they knew we knew. They, we, they knew we caught them in lies. They knew what was going on. So, you know, you got to know the dynamic. And so at that point in the meeting, Caroline just blurted out, let's, let's get the undercovers up there. Let's, let's get them up. Let's get them up there. Let's, let's spin them up. Let's see what we find. So we sent both the undercover um, investigators back to back. Um, and this was uh, in February for, for a little over a two week, two week, two week period. And remember during that two week period, we were catching hell from everyone from yeah. East Idaho news to, 
Uh, I mean, we were catching hell in the media. Where are you guys? You guys need to be up here searching. And remember the weather was like like minus nine or something up there on the mountain. It was just, and there was like, what, eight feet of snow. And so, uh, you know, and and we were catching total hell from the family and everybody else. And they had no idea that we had made the decision to send undercovers in and that we were actually had undercovers on the ground, boots on the ground up there in Idaho. And one of the things I told Caroline and I told everybody in this office is Caroline was case manager. I told him, I said, you, you cannot, don't tell anybody, uh, that we're up there. Uh, just let them all spin out of control. And that's when, you know, we started catching some heat from some people that were not in the know that told everybody they were in the know. They had no idea what we were doing. And I think we had the support of the FBI and we had the support of Limhigh and, uh, yeah, Bonneville law County enforcement knew what our law enforcement would knew what we were doing and they were behind it hundred percent because I guess everybody's face up there is known as a small town. So during this two week period, um, we had both investigators um, befriended Isaac. They took him to lunch and dinner, but let's, out let, at the bar. But yeah, but let's tell them how they made contact very quickly. We'll just very quickly, we'll just tell them how they made contact. Uh, Hartman uh, is a good undercover investigator, and he was following Isaac, and Isaac would go down to a bar in downtown Idaho Falls. And so uh, he just sat down on a bar stool next to, next to Isaac and started buying him some beers and uh, – Anyway, take it from there. So they just, he, he bought him beers. He befriended him, um, got him talking, um, took him to lunch and dinner at his favorite restaurants. Um, just got him to where he was talking and where he was, um, interacting and, and, and his trust, frankly. Um, and so we were able to gather and, um, get some information from him regarding the disappearance. Um, and then again, the same with the next investigator that was there the next week, same thing. Um, and it seemed seemingly was going well. He was keeping to his story in all interviews, um, or time periods of talking. And, um, so. And that's one thing about Isaac Renwall. He has never, ever, ever changed his story. He hasn't. So when we get back, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the undercovers and what they found and then how everything fell apart with the uh, family. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. You're listening to the Klein podcast. Welcome back to the Klein Files. My name is Philip Klein. I'm the senior investigator at Klein Investigation Consulting. I'm here with Caroline Gear. Hey. And uh, we're what's wrong with your throat? I don't know. God, I've got issues. You're today. a mess. Um, and anyway, so uh, uh, this is part two of the Dior Coons case, uh, the inside of the case. Uh, we are releasing today information that we've never released before to the general public uh, because we believe that most of the general public, a lot of people up there gave money for our investigation to come up, uh, as we told you in part one. Uh, this firm spent about $125,000 of its own money uh, to investigate the case. We took $25,000 from the general public. What was it, 20? 25. I think it was just 20, actually. Was it 20? Yeah, 20000 from the general public that paid for the transportation of dogs, uh, employees, investigators. investigators, hotel rooms, and uh, and dinners. Uh, and, and let me say again to the people of Idaho Falls, man, you guys are the best. Uh, you know, they, some of the people had figured out who we were based upon uh, interviews we had done with local TV stations and national TV, and they recognized us at uh, 
What's that pancake place that we went to all the time? I don't know, but it was so good. My it's God, it was so good. Right over there by the falls. And man, it, we'd walk in there and they they uh, they bought us dinner. The pizza place over there, they, they'd see us and they'd have our favorite pizza ready for us when we got there. I mean, it was just, the people were so giving. And I, I, I got to tell you all, we thank you all again up there. Idaho Falls is a beautiful place to uh, to live. And, it uh, really is. It really is. Wonderful. And law enforcement. Yeah, you talk about salt of the earth, guys. I mean, the, the sheriff up there at the time, now there's a new sheriff uh up there and uh, these people are just the they're just the best so anyway so we left you with um with the, our two undercovers out there and they were talking to um isaac renoir and uh, what we wanted to do with isaac is we wanted to get him uh his trust and so isaac had no idea he was talking to investigators uh steve hartman um, charlie klein uh, had grown beards and did their undercover thing that they're good at. Uh, they got up there and got a hold of uh, everybody and um, they interviewed them. And in, in, in the interview, uh, you know, Isaac never changed his, uh, never changed his story. Um, and then in the midst of all of it, we were telling the family, you know, uh, in, in, the, in, in, in particular, we were telling uh, the father of, uh, of Vernal, uh, Mr. Uh, coons we were telling him stop leave us alone You're, he was calling us every day he'd scream at us he'd cuss at us uh, you know i paid you lots of money and we had to remind him he didn't pay us a damn dime the public paid us uh and he was not going to control the investigation it was a control issue wouldn't yeah, you say and all this yeah simultaneously was happening from the point that we had that meeting with the entire coons family right and their alan browning was sitting in the other right. room trying to covertly hear everything <laughs> we were saying he was sneaking around the restaurant and then accusing us of things that we didn't even what a great the lawyer context of what was said was completely taken and, and spun and, and then when browning found out that we had recorded the whole meeting he kind of flipped his little a little bit because he had uh what was it lori coons uh gave her a uh and lori coons was so nice to us so Lori's hugged the us and jill coons jill, the yeah jill who was and the jill one that has recorded been very nice yeah. um lori. no was it lori that recorded or was believe, it jill i believe so anyway they were a bunch of backstabbers and so they were just trying to set us up uh browning had uh had paid had been paid fifteen hundred dollars as a defense investigator. Now let's talk about that for a second because it was actually Alan Browning's recording and he asked Lori to take the recording and record the whole. No, take the recorder. Recorder. Yes, and, and record, record the conversation. The and so we didn't know about that, which is fine with us. But as we do in any internal or external investigation, we record for posterity's sake and thank god we did because they figured out oh we can't snip at that recording but isn't it against the law for somebody to it record is. for someone else it is and so it was uh it, they, they 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 figured out real quickly that they had violated federal wiretap laws by doing that uh and you know quite frankly i you know and I, that's one of the regrets i have in this case i should have gone after Lori coons I should have with the FBI and they suggested it to yeah, us they did. They that, did. that we filed charges against uh, Lori Coons and Jill Coons and, and, and the rest of them. And, and we just didn't do it. And the reason I didn't do it was, is because I figured these people were being manipulated by two criminals, actually three at the time. 
Uh, and, uh, and then Trina Clegg, we had, we had big questions whether or not Trina was involved. I think Trina was involved because she was scared for her daughter. I don't think Trina knew what was going on. There's been a debate in the investigation room, whether or not the last time, uh, the baby was seen down in, uh, Idaho falls. Uh, but there was some type of, uh, you know, I think Trina probably was trying to protect her daughter. So I know I, you disagree with that, I, but I do, because I don't think that. I don't, I've had multiple conversations with Trina on the phone in person. I don't think that Trina knew at the time of our investigation, anything other than what we were telling her, That's or true. what she was learning I you know. know, through, through media. I truly don't believe that she knew anything. <laughs> and do now I you see question, what goes on in the investigation room. We fire this back and forth at each other. But do I question that now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did I question it then? And I still, to this day, will defend her that she did not know anything at that time. I don't think she did, but I think I think she was confided in. And I think, <laughs> you know, like I say, I think if it was an intentional homicide, uh, which, you know, I don't know. I still debate myself on that. But if it was an intentional homicide, I think, I think Trina would have it in her heart to step up and give her daughter up. Mm -hmm. I do. So simultaneously at this time, Dennis was... Uh, going screaming back and forth. screaming at us he I called mean, down here and cuss you and yeah. finally i had to get on the phone and say if you cuss my employees one more time you and i'm fine i'm getting on an airplane I'm, I'm gonna get a private jet that's waiting on me out at the airport and i'm flying up to idaho falls and i'm gonna land and i'm gonna come find you and you and i are gonna have that discussion because you know you're not gonna talk to my employees like that and and i'm telling you how would i, I it was well, horrible. So he demanded to meet with one of our investigators. He, he didn't believe. I told him, I finally, I finally told him, I said, look, we're working on it right now. We have boots on the ground. He said, well, I want to meet an investigator that's here right now. I said, okay, we can make that happen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to the mall. What's it called? Idaho Falls Mall. Yeah, it was just. It was a mall. It's the mall in Idaho Falls. And I want you to go sit in front of, uh, I forget the name of the place. It was an ice cream place. I want you to go sit in that bench right in front of the ice cream place. And then uh, you're going to sit there for about 35 minutes to an hour. And um, and then somebody will, will come contact you. He said, well, I'm not sitting in the mall for an hour. I said, well, if you want to meet one of our guys, you will. And the reason I did it that way was we had that area under surveillance. And we wanted to see if... Vernal or somebody was going to bring a camera or try to talk with us or well, what he didn't know is that the guy sitting right behind him on the other bench was our undercover agent. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, we watched the area. We advised law enforcement what we were doing. Uh, they wanted to know. So we advised them. I think they had some undercover people in the, in the mall too. I think law, law enforcement knew every step, of every the step way of the way, what we were doing. Yeah. This is one of those cases where I can, ultimately say that the progress that was made on all sides of this case was because law enforcement and our team were working together and they knew that there were things that they had that we didn't have. And we knew we had things that they didn't have. And that recording to which we will release one of these days, as soon as our lawyers give us the uh, okay, um, one of the recordings will show that, that we actually uh, told the Coons family in that family meeting with all the Coons and all the, uh, you know, Trina, and whatever her last name was, Clegg at the time, um, we told them all, we are not your defense investigators. Do not put us in that position because we'll bail out. 
we're not those people. And we advise you. And Vernal was sitting right across from me. You'll remember that. I said, Vernal, you need a lawyer. Yeah. If it were me, I'd get a lawyer. And he said, well, uh, you're the investigator. For I said, I am not the investigator for you. I am not your investigator. I am your father's investigator. Uh, and, and, and we were hired solely, to find, solely to find the child. And that's what we are doing. And that infuriated everybody at the table because they were like, wait a minute, you work for us. And I was like, no, I do work for you. I work for the general public as well, because not one of you have put a dime into this case, not a dime. Jill Koontz, the aunt. And her husband did pay a, a good chunk, but well, that was it. Again, not, not our clients. Not our clients. Exactly. You're not our clients. They donated to the fund and you're not our clients. The, the public is our client. And that's when we got into it with the father. Well, anyway, that brings us back to the mall. So he's sitting there. And so Steve leans over and says, hello, Mr. Coons. He goes, well, who are you? And he says, well, my name's Steve. Well, I don't understand why we just can't meet out in the open and we can't do this and we can't do that. And Steve said, because this is an integral part of the case. Well, you guys think my son did it. Yeah, we do. But we're trying to prove that either he did it or he didn't do it or somebody did it or somebody didn't do it. There's some questions we still have. And Mr. Coons blew up. I mean, he blew up in the middle of the mall and started yelling at Steve. Well, Steve and what Steve did, which, which probably was very smart. He just simply got up and said, I don't know who you're talking to, sir, but you know, are you okay? Do you need some help? And, uh, that brought the attention of some people that were standing there and they, they went over to Mr. Coons. They said, are you okay? You need help. And he said, well, he's uh he's in there. Everybody turned around and Steve was gone. And, um, like Mr. Coons eventually told me, he said, he's like a ghost. He was one minute he was there, next minute he was gone. Um, and I think, uh, you know, at that point, we reported back to law enforcement what had happened. And again, what was going on is they were trying to control the investigation. They were trying to push us in a certain direction, and we weren't doing that. Um, so at that point, I got a letter from a guy named Alan Browning. Alan Browning was the attorney for the, the for the for the defense of Vernal Coons. It was very clear to us why he was hired. We have it on audio, and it was a fax that came in. I it was a fax. We it got was, a fax. The, this is the, so now we're talking about state of Idaho versus Coons. That's mm -hmm. what the headliner was, and this is the very first lawsuit that was ever filed against us. Um, and well, let's get through the let's get through the sequential first. Got it. I think it's important. So we get back to our, Charlie is, is up there working on, uh, on, um, Isaac, Isaac and I, and Charlie's doing a great job and he's, he's talking to him and Isaac tells him the same story. I mean, sequential points of the whole thing, because Charlie walked in and said, Hey, I saw you on TV. Met him at the bar, bought him some drinks. They're sitting there talking. You say, I saw you on TV. What's, you know, what's this damn thing all about? I'm from out of town. And Isaac told him the same damn story every time. He said, okay, well, let's go have a couple of hamburgers. They went and had hamburgers. He told him the story again. You should hear, you should hear the tapes and the ninnies that were running around saying, you guys never interviewed Isaac. Oh God. We interviewed Isaac, what? Six, seven, eight times, please. Well, I mean, between people. the two undercover investigators, yeah, multiple times, that people. doesn't even include 
the um, invest the interview that MJ did with him at a later date. Absolutely, absolutely. I was with her. Yeah, I was with her when we interviewed him again uh, after that. And so at that point, we were kind of all on Team Isaac. There, we had four people up at the campground. Person one lied. Person two lied. Person three lied. And Isaac continues to tell us the whole story. In fact, in his third interview with Charlie, he actually says, because we asked him, we said, well, did you see Bob? He goes, no, I think Bob was asleep in his, in his trailer. And we're like, okay, now we have confirmation Bob was asleep. Mm-hmm. And he went fishing across the creek. And he went fishing across the creek. He wasn't even in the campground at the time. And nobody's ever known that. And, and Isaac has said a couple of times, he said, well, I was down there. He started on one side. Then he went to the other side where there was a, he called it a little small tributary with little fish in it, where he had caught some fish uh, that was coming out of the lake uh, that runs through this Creek that runs through the campground. And, um, and Isaac said, clearly, he said, look, I can tell you where I was. And he pointed it eventually when we showed him the map, he pointed it out to us. Here's where I was here. Here's where I was here. I know I was here. Well, show us where Bob was. Oh, he was in the trailer right here in the trailer. Bob says he was sitting in a chair and fell asleep after he ate some candy. Well, guess what? He wasn't sitting in a chair. He was in the trailer. That's what they told us. Now, the first question is, to, in our minds as investigators, why would Isaac lie? Why would Isaac lie? The same story he told to the police, the same story he told to the FBI, the same story he told to us, that story has never changed. Vernal's story has changed. I don't what, how many times? I don't, uh, at least eight at this point. I mean, eight times he changed his story. Jessica, she can't remember if she what what color socks she put on the day before. You know, oh, I I think I did this. I think I did that. Everything is I think. 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 And then they did the famous interview with a local television station with Chelsea Brinsel. 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 They did the the famous interview with Chelsea Brinsel, and she was smart. She told her camera people, let the camera roll. Just let it roll. Don't turn it off. Well, they had one camera that ran out of battery. So they said, everybody hold. We got to change the battery. And, and, and Vernal is sitting with Jessica and that's the famous. And we've released that to the public where he looks at her and says, don't talk in past tense, talk in present tense. They'll find out. You need to say have not had. That's right. (laughs) And you could see the look on her face. She rolled her eyes and shook her head. Now, and I'm not sure she came out and said, I think the proper expression was she put her shoulders up and you know, rolled her eyes and she looked at Vernal and, and like, you know, just shut up. Just, just shut up. And I think it was getting to her at that point. And it was right after that. Uh, that uh, the lawsuit was dismissed. The first lawsuit was dismissed uh, because we we released it immediately. We said, hey, you guys think we're liars? Hey, take a look at this. And again, remember, at that time, we were getting a huge amount of pressure from this nutbag called Crystal Douglas is her name, who, by the way, we have a RICO investigation going on on her for her East Idaho cold cases, which is now Idaho cold cases. Uh, she purports herself to be a nine five zero one c three. People have given her money to investigate cases, um, and 
she lost her 501c3 what back in 17 august of 17 she went through a horrible divorce we got all of her divorce records we got her financial records now um you know this lady is a, a charlatan in our opinion uh and she uh, she tries to report herself to the public and everybody that she's some big uh, philanthropist uh, she did make some money off her husband uh, who she was did. a and she's the one that really led um and got some of these other women some of these know, other women in washington state and in what california oh yeah and um, anyway so, so let's go ahead on march 2nd of 2016 is when we got official notification from our client that he was uh, no longer wanted us on the case on our fax machine and it was a handwritten <laughs> how professional is this yep. of a lawyer it was a handwritten in big letters klein you're fired yep and, and, and we were like what <laughs> it didn't really even come from our client it came from the, the attorney um and then march 3rd of 2016 is when the lawsuit was announced on the news um, and that was actually before we were even made aware. I yeah. think we received the facts about the lawsuit after the news broke it. Yeah. And, then, and, the, and, you know, you got, I, look, and, and Caroline knows I've worked, I've been doing this 30 some odd years. I've worked with some of the most famous attorneys in the, in the United States, all the way from Washington, DC to New York to California and everywhere around the United States. And when I got that letter from the Browning law firm with Klein, you're fired and Alan Brownie's notes on it. I, I mean, that's all it says Klein. Hey Klein, you're fired. I went, Oh my God. I'm going to have to post that on our Instagram. Yeah, we got to show that. us on Instagram so that I can post that. Why don't um, you find that out of the system? And it, I, I will. I'm and it, 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 I mean, it's the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen. Now, do I think Alan Brownie's unprofessional? You know, I don't know. I think Alan Brownie's a, a, a guy that, uh, you know. What, I, I, you I, know. No, hold on. When we, when we found out that he was the attorney, right. whenever we got that, we started asking questions and, and trying to find our own attorney up there. Yeah. Um, so we started calling around and there, what was, they referred to him as an ambulance chaser. Yeah. And I had never heard this phrase before. <laughs> uh, well, that's just, he was, he's a, he's a plaintiff attorney that dabbles in defense. And, you know, again, I felt sorry for, uh, what the Coons ladies, uh, Lori, and what's the other one? Jill. Jill. I felt sorry for them because they put money up for Vernal's defense. And I think they were on team Vernal at the time, which I think they still are today. I mean, I don't know why, uh, but they are. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, the bottom line was, is that these ladies put up $1,500, I believe, I think both of them did put up $1,500 for this guy that writes on a piece of paper, Hey, Klein, you're fired. And, and you just go, you know, you'd think you get a letter dear Mr. Klein, the, you know, your services are no longer needed. We appreciate the work you've done, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, on March, March, uh, that night on March 3rd, I got a phone call from uh, Caroline and she said, Hey, look, I've got, I've got another family member that's called us. Uh, we're, we're still not going to release that because we want to protect this person. And yeah, uh, they're a wonderful person. And they, they, they are, they still to this day, um, checks in with me, checks in and says, look, you guys got to get back in this thing. You guys were the only thing that was moving this case forward. And, uh, you know, and, and we'll talk about that in the, in the, in the next one. But anyway, the bottom line is this, um, uh, that, uh, the new client, uh, she was the new client. Oops. And, uh, signed the, uh, uh signed the, uh, contract, uh, the, the contract. contract right. And then when we announced that, uh, that crystal Douglas and East Idaho cold cases got nasty, nasty. 
and started calling us names, started saying we were unprofessional. Started, and we were sitting here thinking, here's a lady that supposedly helps the missing. Yeah, but has such a checkered personal life, uh, you know, because we're not stupid investigators, folks. We have resources. We we meet people. We talk to law enforcement. We talk to the public. We knew she had a secret life going on, uh, and uh, and we knew that she had lost. Uh, she was in the process of of of, of losing her C three. She hadn't filed her nine nineties. She hadn't done anything. But she was taking, we think she was taking money from the public and who knows what she was doing in it, with it. But, uh, and then of course, these two whack jobs from Washington state and from uh, California, uh, they started chirping in. And, and so uh, that leads us to uh, getting the case put reback together. And then during this time, now this is between March 4th, the new client and June 19th, uh, we, what we did was we did a thing called peer review. Uh, I'm very big on peer reviews because, uh, you know, I want to make sure I'm right. Okay. I, 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 look, I don't know it all. I'm not smart enough to know it all. Uh, but I'm smart enough to know that I can get with smart people and they can tell me what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. So we did a thing called peer review. We have hired a firm here in Texas. We packaged up the case. We sent it up to the firm, uh, and they went through every single, piece of evidence we had every interview they listened to it all i spent a lot of money on it and uh they came back with our same findings that we had that these two were suspects and that uh the grandfather knew what was going on so quite interestingly enough um uh we cranked the case up on june 19th caroline talk about june 19th well, so this is when we flew up our entire team, our cadaver dog team. This is when we really, um, I had been using the information we had obtained to cross or not cross, but to, um, I guess, come come up with specific search locations. We knew that we were going to search the campground, but we also knew that the, the campground had been searched pretty extensively already. Um, by five different teams yes. and these are these are these are wonderful people that gave their time uh, advanced uh, kind of like EquiSearch down here in Texas right. uh, they all have a dis- different discipline let's horse riding uh, ground operations uh, diving scuba diving all, we knew that campgrounds had been cleared yeah. four or five times at that point but but there's always that chance that something's missed so when you die you leave a scent you leave a scent your body shuts down and there is a scent that is released from your body uh, from uh, some people say endorphins. I don't really believe that, but there is a, a chemical that is released from your body and cadaver dogs are trained on that um, chemical. Um, and so Trey Sargent, who is again, one of the most decorated dog handlers in the United States of America. She's a sheriff's deputy out in Georgia um, she's contractual with, uh, or has been contractual with Homeland Security, FBI, Secret Service. I mean, you name the acronym, you know, she pretty much even acronyms all. we're not supposed to talk about. She, uh, she, uh, she, she and her dog Chance uh, are, are, are just, just famous. I mean, in, 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 in the law enforcement world and the PSB world, the, the, this girl's just phenomenal and we suggest you little facebookers look her up and she is uh, you can read about her she has a new dog named taz that we can't wait to work with taz is taz is a is, is in training right now because uh, uh 
you know, her other little puppy was getting uh, old and, you know, big dogs don't have a lifespan of 30 years. They have a lifespan of about 10 to 15. So, uh, so anyway, so, um, So night one of our arrival, we actually stopped in Gilmore, Idaho. Um, And this was a location that is fairly close. It's on the way up there. Um, If anybody that talks to Tracy and anybody that knows how Tracy works, she always looks for the path of least resistance. And so um, this was a path that would have been extremely easy um, to find. Um, Exactly. From the campground, go over across one of the little, and we call them mountain ranges. I guess it was a hill, according to them. Uh, But you can cross over and there's mines back in there uh, that had not been searched. Uh, We got with uh, Limhi County and they said, well, look, we've cursory gone through there, but we haven't gone through it with a dog. Now, remember, a dog can pick up on pretty much anything pretty quick. Yeah, very quick. So, um, so we searched several mines and wells, um, wells are the easiest thing to find. Um, if there's a body in them, it, it's, it contains the scent and comes up. So, um, we knew that if the, if he was going to be found in any of those, we could, we could clear that out really fast. So we did. So after we cleared that out, um, we, we checked some bear dens, uh, we found some bear dens, we found some bear scat that was very fresh. So we knew we were in kind of a dangerous and the sheriff had warned us up there that the bears were moving at that time of the year and yeah, they were hungry hard. and coming out of their dens. Cause it's really cold up there at night still, but in the teens and the twenties in June. Um, so anyway, we, we, we cleared all the areas that we had to the cattle gates, the, you know, we did a, what we did we got a two mile square radius and we, we really worked hard and we just got some food and slept and that's all we did was work and sleep. So that brings us to, um, uh, we found nothing at the time other than the campground. Now let's talk about the campground because I think it's important for the folks to hear. And I'm just going to kind of briefly go over it with the diaper tree, what everybody calls the diaper tree, the dog hit on the diaper tree. That was interesting to us because that was bodily fluids, but, the issue was that um, uh, the uh, diaper tree was of question to us because, um, you know, why would the dog hit there? And not only did the dog hit, the dog hit every time. I think we did 10 rotations and the dog hit 10 times. Yeah. Then the dog went down south uh, to where the fire pit was that everybody had said, oh, maybe they burned the baby's body up. The dog didn't hit. However, the dog did hit approximately right where the truck, Fernal said the truck was hit. Now, we did some digging in that area and we found a dog and we found, uh, the, the dog, there was another camper that had buried a dog up there. We found that. Um, but the interesting part was the dog was hitting in that area. And when we went back to the family, um, before, before our first trip, we asked him, you know, lay out on a piece of paper where, where everything was parked and within, what would you say? Five feet, six feet of where he drew the picture of the suburban, and the his his pickup truck, uh, the dog was hitting in that area. Yep. Now that's interesting to us because it, it kind of, and we've never said this to the public. This is this is the first time you're hearing this, is that we felt maybe there was an accident, and the and the and, and the and the, the the child was rolled over with the pickup truck. The, I, a lot of people in law enforcement, a lot of people in this office disagree with me. They think, you know, well, if you didn't come back and you know, do this or that, and it's got to be capital murder. Well, I don't know. So anyway, so we expanded out a little bit. Now this guy named David Marshburn, is that his name? I've never met this guy. I've yeah. ne- I think I've communicated with him once. I know MJ Holmes has talked to him extensively. Uh, he works for the, uh, 
he works for Trina Clegg, I think it was, and in, in the family. Uh, and so anyway, so uh, we went down the road a little bit, according to what Vernal had told us. And uh, we just ran the dog down the road to see how far to the rock. And the dog went to the bottom of this hill and stopped and sat. And so we went in that area and we marked it for the sheriff was with us. We marked it. And then the dog uh, was released by the handler. And then the dog just for some reason, just put its nose up in the air and took off up there. You remember that? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. T- took off, took off like a wild, wild thing. And, um, and it, it was just, uh, it's just unbelievable. Anyway. Okay. So what happened was, uh, Tracy gave the order to chance and said, go hunt. And the dog took off and was sniffing around like the dog does. And we were all kind of in a line behind the dog. And all of a sudden the dog just threw his nose up in the air and his ears up and just took off up this hill. Yeah. At this point, we're all, all, all of us are standing right by the stream down, down. So there it's quite a little bit of a hill and she had been working him around the stream. I think we had started from the campground and came down. So we were walking the stream oh, beyond the campground. We were all the way up at the uh, the reservoir and we started walking. We worked the reservoir all the way down the stream, all the way down into the campground. Again, that dog hit again at the diaper Hill, uh, hit within five feet of where Vernal said that his pickup truck was parked. So, I mean, we had evidence at that point. So, the dog, uh, she released the dog from that area and we began walking out of the campground again, like you said, down the ravine. And then we turned off to the right and the dog went over and sat down at another little position. Yeah. He sat down in this one particular spot and And kept sitting down and he wouldn't move really. And so I said, uh, and I, I was kind of above everybody. So I said, Tracy, you got to come what's he doing? Like, cause I'm not trained in all this. So I, I didn't know at that time what was mm-hmm. happening. So she comes up and she goes, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, some, this happens. And she was like, okay, well let me work him. And so she took him further down mm-hmm. um, to this other little campground area mm-hmm. because you always take them away from the location mm-hmm. and put them somewhere different and then still work them. So she, she worked him and he went back and he went back and he went back. He kept going back to this one spot. And I'll never forget, I said, this is of interest, look. And so everybody kind of gathered around. And if you've been up there or if you know the area or if you even know just the. Um, the And remember, uh, the sheriff is with us at this point and he's like, that dog's hidden. Yeah, yeah. I'm and not- I'm like, I, I get it. And they said, but all the shrubs, what, uh, what uh-huh. do we call that? All the scrub. landscaping. We call it scrub. Well, and up there, it's all these giant prickly shrub things. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, in the middle of this little side of a hill, okay, is a perfect square. I mean, I'm talking a perfect square, loose gravel. Loose gravel square. Uh, or loose ground. And for but those of you not in the investigation it, business, loose, ga- loose gravel squares are usually something's buried there. Right. And so I will never forget that I, I said, okay, let's go ahead and dig. So we did. We dug, I mean, we Two worked hours. until 10 PM that night when yeah. it started getting dark, no longer which I mean, I wish we had that here. Stay light until 10 PM <laughs> would be so ideal. It was. In fact, we lost track of time. Somebody said, what time is it? It's 1030. What? 1030. What? And so anyway, uh, the bottom line is we did a dig and uh, I don't think we've ever released that before, but we did a dig. And now the news media was waiting for us down the hill. 
because uh, they knew we were up there. It got leaked, I guess, that we were there in town and that we were doing a dig. And so uh, I guess they were listening to the police scanner because uh, there was a a police unit that called and route up there to bring shovels and to bring things. So we, we, we did that. And, and, and again, we took samples from that area too. We took, we took soil samples. We took, and so it was concluded by Tracy that she felt that was called what we call a holding area. Something had been there. Some, a body had been there, uh, that, that necessarily as we got deeper with the soil samples, the dog didn't react as the top soil samples, the dog reacted. So, um, you know, and Lauren law enforcement said they were going to go back with equipment, heavy equipment and, and dig much yeah, deeper yeah. in yeah. order to. Yeah. And it was also at that time we had gotten out of Isaac Renoir that, uh, uh, that, uh, the uh, cooler, there was a cooler missing, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of piqued our interest. So here's what we knew so far. We had a cooler missing, we had a child missing. We had a dog up there that was hitting in two certain areas. Very, very strong. One was where Vernal's pickup truck was parked, and the other one was what we all consider a holding area. Um, so we left there, and on the final day we were there, which was day four or five, I think it was more like day five, um, we got permission from the owner of uh, where Jessica and Vernal used to live. Uh, we got permission uh, to go in with our cadaver dogs. And Carolyn, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because you headed up that operation. Yeah. So um, the renter had actually uh, reached out to me and said, hey, they've left all their things here. Do y'all want to take a look at anything? Um, they had abandoned it. They were no longer living there. They had not lived there. He had given them a date to come by and pick up everything. They had not come and picked everything up. Um, and he said, I'm taking it all to the road today. Yep. So, so when we you, got there, he had just finished putting it out on the road. So outside on the road, as, as uh, we all called, it was fresh kill. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we put the dog on it. The dog did not, interestingly enough, react to anywhere around the house. The dog did not, uh, was, was taken into the, uh, uh, into the apartment itself. Uh, there was no hits inside the apartment itself. Um, so then, uh, we put the dog and let it rest cause it had had a tough three days. Uh, I mean, that dog had worked. And so we let the dog sleep and, and relax, gave it some water and let it, let it relax. And then we put our gloves on and then we went to work and we started going through everything. And let me tell y'all what we found, because this has been a big, 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 big deal, big, big, big deal. Everybody has been saying, Oh, there was something here. There wasn't something there. Uh, these guys are just making it up. Well, let, let us tell you what we found. So as we went through, we found certain um, evidence, we call it, uh, that we wanted to use towards the timeline. Remember, Jessica gave us a timeline. Vernal gave us a timeline. They had also given... Bob gave us kind of a timeline. Yeah, and they had Uh, also given timelines and written statements on the day he disappeared. That's right. Or the week, that first week. Yeah, that first week. Remember, we do everything 72 hours before to 72 hours after and everything in between. So none of it matched, of course. You know, receipts, you know, their story just didn't... It didn't match what the physical evidence was at that point. And that's why, you know, a lot of you will remember when I came out in the media... And, and we were catching grief in the media. And if you all will remember when I came out in the media and I said what they've told us versus the physical evidence that we have, everybody immediately assumes and jumps to, oh, they, they, they found 
something of, of, of Dior's or they, you know, they speculation it's, it's Facebook investigators who are quite frankly, embarrassing in some points, but you got to give them bonus points for trying. I mean, you know, come on. And so, um, and I know you all hate when I say that because you just hate it. Right. I do. I know. But, you know, people care. And that's, a, you know, and that's probably me being a, doing this for 31 people years. I love when care and I love when it's constructive. When it's right. not constructive is when it's just flat out annoying. What was that Facebook uh, page that uh, that was created by some of those whack jobs that just hate us? Uh, uh, what was her name? Oh, my gosh. Now you ask. I know. Me. I know. Anyway, we <laughs> it's probably good. That we've gone Something to therapy and forgot. Yeah, Truth for Dior or truth, some sort. Yeah, Truth for Dior yeah, whatever. Those people, I swear to God, you, you get five psychopaths in a room and put them in a room and give them all computers. That's, that's what you got. That'd I mean, be a that, great psychological. Um, well, you know, I did, I did give it over to Lamar university. Uh, the, some of the stuff they said, remember that we were getting yeah. what they were getting. Yeah. There's a professor over at Lamar university, a psychology doctor, a doctor of psychology. And uh, he, he was reading it and he, and, cause I said, look to these people, I, I need you to look what Vernal wrote, what Jessica wrote, what, you know, remember I've already told y'all I'm not the smartest egg in the basket. I'm not the dumbest egg in the basket, but I learned what not to do from the, from the dumb. And I learned what to do from the smart. And I, so I go to the smart people with this, with this stuff. We don't just sit in a room and go, Oh, we come up with this. We, we, we took it to some psychologists and they look at it and what they, what they call these girls, narcissistic psychopaths. And, uh, you know, we just kind of laughed and said, well, tell us something we don't know. But, but to go back to what I was talking about, we found writings, we found a, a small journal, we found, we found stuff that was, that kind of gave us an, a glimpse into Vernal's life and, and, and into, uh, Jessica's life. And, um, and we also found physical evidence that I think is important. We found, uh, we found some cars. Now, remember the big story about how the Dior was sitting on the side of the hill and he was in the dirt playing with cars and doing this and that. And we were like, okay, um, describe the cars to us. Well, they described the cars to us. Well, guess what? The cars that they described to us were in the trash pile. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is first time we're releasing this. Why? If I mean, if it was my child and it was missing, I'd save those cars to the day. I'd be buried I'd with those cars. A, yeah. I, and, and that just goes to show, I mean, I've heard, and we'll get into some of the, um, in, in part four, we're going to take questions and do more of a Q&A of um, what y'all send in to us. And I've already written down a lot of questions that have come in over the last week and a half. Um, but we're going to address all of those and we'll talk a little bit about our theories. But I think the cars are a, a big importance. It's huge. Um, we Another blanket that was found yeah. was extremely <laughs> dirty. A dirt, and, and remember, they told us, well, there's only one blankie, right? Oh, this is his favorite blankie. There's only one blankie. He has no other blankies. You know, and yeah. we kept saying, well, are you sure? Because, you know, kids collect crap. And at that age, you know, blankies are a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Well, then we started pulling pictures. You had a blankie. You still have it today. I still do. Mm. But we started pulling pictures of, you know, ones that they had released to the media yep. and things of that. And we start seeing, okay, Oops. well, there's more than one blanket. There it is. And uh, and then we started looking at these blankies going, oh, my gosh, this is what she described to us. Why are they throwing it out? I mean, again, I, why would anybody do that? Maybe she has a good reason. I don't know. But she did throw it out. Anyway. And then I think the box we found 
was the most shocking, which we found a uh, camo jacket. It was a bunch of little boy clothes. Little boy clothes and a camo jacket. Now, if you go back and you remember, they uh, we asked them specifically, what was the baby wearing? Oh, it was a camo jacket. Good. Do you have pictures of it? Do you have pictures of what the child was wearing? No, I didn't take any pictures on this trip. Now, Jessica had already told us previously in the family meeting that she was Miss Picture Taker. She took pictures of everything. She I think took she pictures the whole way up to Ledor. All, all the way up to Ledor. That's what she told us. There's pictures. Well, now she's telling us well, there's no pictures. What do you so mean there's no pictures? Then they provide a picture that they had just found of Dior wearing right. some sort of camo jacket. And they released it saying, oh, well, that's the that's the, the, the camo jacket he was wearing. And we're like, oh, okay. And then we find the camo jacket. It's in a box with boy, little boy's clothes that's thrown out to the street. Now, folks. Maybe I'm just cynical. Maybe I'm just, I don't know what I am these days. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Caroline will say I'm cranky. I I've just, it's, it's just, it's just debatable of, of, of these people. Why would you do that? Um, and so I guess what we're trying to say to you is, is that the evidence and you know what? And I want to think everybody's innocent. I really do. I'm just that investigator. I want to think everybody's innocent until it's proven to be otherwise. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. And Browning learned that in in the in the first lawsuit. He he learned real quickly. Okay, Klein may not be as bad as everybody says he is. Then we kind of went. You know, we got a problem. Yeah. Uh, these people are are if not guilty, they're complicit to what have had what it, what happened. So we had also searched Trina's mm-hmm. um, with her permission. She allowed us to bring him down to where search Jessica the house. was living at the in the basement. Yep, we searched, and then she also allowed us to um, run the chance on the suburban because the suburban was parked in her yep. driveway. And I think it's very important to note here that. Um, there's a lot of controversy. We'll address it in the question Q and a section mm-hmm. about where they slept, where they say they yep. slept on that first night was in the suburban, the back of the suburban that yep. had a giant marble slab of some sort on the, on the back. And we'll, we'll talk about that because uh, there's more to all that. Yeah. But chance did not hit on the suburban. Did not hit on the suburban. We wanted to run chance on the pickup truck, but guess what? The pickup truck had been sold the week after the incident up on the mountain. Yeah. Then we got the VIN and we started tracking it with LEO and we find out, guess what? The pickup truck had been taken to a, what do you call it? A, I guess a, a rec yard. Rec yard. And rec yard had crushed the truck and sold the steel and it was gone. Now, luckily the smart FBI agents had already gotten the pickup truck and found the blood pathogens that had obviously been washed or through road road, uh, you know, the salt and the everything else that's on the roads up there um, had been uh, diluted, but they did get samples and the DNA, they couldn't get the DNA off of it, obviously because of the salt and because of the, the road conditions and the water from the, fell in rains and he'd driven through them and you know it killed the dna opportunities that we could have had but we knew a couple of things 
We knew the kid was playing with the back end of the car. What You'd think a kid put his arm in a tailpipe and they had been driving all day. Don't you think the kid would have burned his arm? There's a big question mark. And isn't it interesting how he didn't tell law enforcement that the kid was playing towards the back of the car? Yeah. And, and, and isn't it interesting that the only reason he told us that story is, is because we asked him, the question was, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, the question was, hey, Vernal, did the kid ever walk away from the camp that night? Because remember, good investigators already know the answers to questions before we ask them. Remember that. Police ever get you in a question room? That's why lawyers always tell you, don't say anything until your lawyer gets there. Say nothing. Just tell them. Sorry, I'm not going to talk. Yeah, and then when we received the 911 call from Vernal and we find out where he really was yeah. when he made that phone call, I just, there's, you, a, there's a lot more that, you know, down the hill, you know, he says, uh, well, I, Vernal's story is, well, I just went over the cattle garden, used the phone, consequently, right next to where we dug is the cattle guard. Is the cattle guard. Oops. But his story to us and his story to law enforcement is he drove a mile and a half away. So we judged a mile and a half away. We rode a mile and a half away. And guess what? There's no signal. There's none. We sat down there with a, a device that, uh, that uh, that's used by this company to judge cell phone signals. There was no signal. But there was a signal up at the campground. I was able to talk on the phone and do all that. But anyway, on November 13th, we were officially served with a lawsuit uh, from uh, Jessica had dropped out. Imagine that. Vernal had uh, fired Browning back up because of comments we had made in the public again. They knew that it was coming to prosecution time, uh, and they wanted to know what was going on uh, inside of what we knew. So um, we uh, made, I made, I made, I'm going to put it on my back. I made the official decision. And I think everybody was shocked when I made the decision. Uh, I made that, uh, that, uh, the decision that we weren't moving the case forward. Uh, we believe that the charges should have been filed against, uh, uh, for child, uh, endangerment against, uh, Vertel and Jessica. Uh, we were at odds with, uh, PD about that. And the PD said, it's not us, it's the DA. And so and we you know, still believe charges should, be. we still believe charges should be filed, but now we understand the statute of limitations is run for endangerment. Uh, for endangerment. So there that is. And so, uh, and then we were served with a second lawsuit in November and I just made the decision. That was it. That was enough. Uh, that uh, that uh, I made the comment to the press, and I'll make the comment again. Truth is the ultimate defense. So when we get to uh, the third part of this uh, Dior Coons case, and uh, we're going to talk about the truth is the ultimate defense. We're going to talk about um, uh, the lawsuit itself, how we answered the lawsuit, because I think it's important for you folks. You can get it online. You can get it out there uh, that we uh, believe that uh, we believe that uh, Vernal Coons is a sexual deviant. Uh, based upon um, information that was given to us and sent to us, family members that turned their back on him at that point. Uh, and we'll talk about Alan Browning and how he used it as a, as a discovery tool for a, for a criminal case. So we'll talk about all that, and uh, then we'll talk about our decision why we didn't go after Vernal because we won, not only did we win the suit, but we were awarded attorney's fees, or we were told we were going to be awarded attorney's fees, so we had to make a decision whether or not we wanted to file those documents. Uh, we uh, obviously did not file them, and there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, and then we'll talk about... Uh, my ode uh, to uh, that little baby Dior. Um, 
And so also make sure you get in your comments. Uh, I mean, comments. Huh, it's a, I feel like it's questions. Monday. Your questions um, to us at the Klein Files Facebook page or on Instagram. I've already got a collection going. You can message them. You can um, email admin, A-D-M-I-N, at KleinInvestigations with an S dot com. And, and we want to remind you, the public, please. We want to remind you, the public, ask us anything. I will answer anything you have. Um, there are no lawsuits going on. There's nothing. It's an open book at this point. I know one of your questions is going to be, you promised a website with all the recordings and everything else. We are still putting that together. As soon as we get green light from our attorneys, we will put that up. So don't ask that question because it's been asked and answered a hundred times. Uh, but, uh, we will do that eventually one day. Um, yeah. And, you know, because we may, you know, we're getting a lot of people call us and say, and we'll discuss this more. Uh, are you guys going to get back in? And uh, we, you know, we've thought about it. And I think you're beating my head saying, let's do it. And uh, so we may, we may get it back in. I don't know. Like MJ Holmes has told us she wants back in. Trace has said she wants back in. Charlie wants back in. Alan wants back in. You want back in. I'm the only, I got veto powers this was Congress. I can veto y'all, but, uh, I, um, uh, but we'll talk about that more at length, but we, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, I know a lot of you are going to be running around going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, maybe it's time for someone to say, Oh my God, maybe it's time for somebody to say, okay, this has got to be a, put an end to it. Um, you know, uh, like I said, I don't know about you, Caroline, but I still lay in bed at night, stare at the ceiling and go, where's that little boy? And, uh, but I do know this, I know an animal didn't get him and I know, and I know it was not a kidnapping. We know that for sure. Uh, you know, all the evidence points that way, all the physical evidence points that way. And we'll talk a little bit about David Marshburn. I've been very quiet about David Marshburn because I have a rule that I use in the investigation business, which is I don't ever talk about other investigators. Um, uh, because you know, you're only as good as your next case. Uh, but I do want to talk about David Marshburn a little bit because I, th I think he does have some good things that he did. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the bad things I think he did because I just think it's, you know, he went after me per very, very hard. Uh, why he did that, I don't know. Uh, I can only go off of uh, the briefing I got from Holmes uh, and, and what she told me after visiting with him for, I think she talked to him on the phone for a couple hours, huh? I believe so. And so um, we'll talk about that. But anyway, thank you for listening and we appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, part three of this uh, Dior Coons uh, situation. And, and, and of course, as always, we want to thank, uh, you know, the public and we want to thank our clients and we want to thank, you know, we wouldn't be here without all y'all. And, uh, and we want you to know that. And, uh, uh, you know, and we'll even talk about, you know, everybody says clients going to write a book about this. Well, probably one day I will, but uh, you know, it'd be a good one. You think so? Mm -hmm. yeah. I do. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk next week. All right. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Klein files. You can find us on anchor or, and you can also find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and any other, um, podcast platforms. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a review and we'll see you next week. Bye.